Brian Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. I'm Ryan Millsap, CEO of Black Hall Studios in Atlanta, and this is the Black Hall Studios podcast. Why does a busy Hollywood studio do a podcast, you might ask? Black Hall is home of great movies like Jumanji The Next Level and fan-favorite series like HBO's Lovecraft Country. But for me, hosting a podcast is an amazing way to meet people and to connect to the community. I learn from each interview and from each person. My roots are actually in America's heartland. My mother's from Nebraska, my father's from Missouri. And though some folks might think I've gone Hollywood, I'm now just an Atlanta boy who loves to meet new and interesting people. And yes, some of them will just happen to be famous Hollywood types. I'm a dad, a businessman, I live on a farm out in social circle and I love the peace and quiet there, but I also love to learn about the philosophy of human nature. So why a podcast? That's why. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I appreciate you. Today on the podcast, I'm hosting a real visionary, Jay Jackson, founder of Rise Creative Village, is an award-winning entrepreneur. We seem to host a lot of those on this show. Jackson's ambition for specifically nurturing minority talent in and around Atlanta has led him to his latest project, Rise Creative Village, which we will absolutely talk about, as well as his support for technical colleges of Georgia and what that means to the future of young creative minds in the state. Jay Jackson is known for creating his own path. He's a motivational speaker with tried and true leadership skills. Listen up. Pay attention because Jay has a lot to say. Hi, this is Ryan Millsap. Welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. Today we have Jay Jackson, CEO of Rise Interactive. Jay, welcome to the show. Man, I'm happy to be here, Ryan. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So we were talking beforehand, and you were telling me about uh, Orlando, and you have some roots there. What, tell us a little bit about your growing up and how you ended up in Orlando. Did you grow up in Orlando? Yes, I actually was born and raised in Orlando, so I'm in Orlando. That was I was a native, and it's not very many natives in Orlando. That's true. Yeah, you know, transient place where people really relocate to after retiring and things like that. So. That's right. And then mm-hmm. what, what brought you to Atlanta? I'm one of those cliche stories came from uh, kind of the underserved background, but uh, got into entrepreneurship, did well for myself, uh, started my own real estate company and did very well in real estate prior to the crash of 2006, 2007, which uh, some of us don't like to remember. Uh, but after after real estate, um, I began you know, because of the over the obstacles that I overcame, um, you know, growing up and, and the success that I had, uh, I would be asked to speak to youth groups about entrepreneurship and overcoming obstacles and things like that. Um, and so uh, as I would speak to these youth groups, they would come up to me afterwards and they said, man, we're just so inspired by you. And I, you know, I would say, what are you talking about? You know, there's a lot of people out here doing great things. And they say, well, we don't see, you know, people that look like us, you know, doing these things. We see athletes and entertainers. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Right? There's so many people doing great things. And so I started from that point, I started this company Rise, which stands for Rec- 
recognizing the young, successful, and empowered. And we started off as a media company. We had a, a magazine, and we did a print magazine. This was 2011, and print was obviously going out of date, but we wanted to take pe- people to take us seriously. And in that, we told the stories of um, just dynamic people just doing great things and, you know, upwardly mobile entrepreneurs, upwardly mobile, you know, executives that were kind of that middle management. Uh, and from there, we knew that we wanted to scale this and and scale it nationally. And, and Orlando, great place, great place to raise kids, Mickey Mouse Town, as we know. Um, <laughs> but it was just not a market that was going to catapult. It's not a, a major market like that. And so um, we were looking for where we could move the company to and um, went to New York for a little while. Just, you know, New York is a great place. I love the mindset, very progressive, but it was just so massive of a market. And so I uh, came here to Atlanta and I fell in love. It's, I, I call it like the New York of the South because you have that progressiveness here, uh, but you also have that kind of that Southern hospitality, you know, that, that charm to it. And so I love it here. It's a magical place. Yes, it is. It what is. were some of the th- other things like when you think about the detail of coming to Atlanta for the first time and feeling like, God, this is better than living in New York? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I... What I really liked about it, I mean, you know, as an African-American myself, I saw that there was a lot of opportunity um, here. And so I I did like that about it. Um, And then one of the things that really got me was when I got here, I saw how there was so much emphasis on media, so much emphasis on entertainment from the state level. So anytime you have an industry where you have the government involved in making sure that this industry thrives, um, I just I said, okay, well, this is a great place for us in it. And it made me even evolve that vision that I had where we were a media company trying to figure out ultimately what we would do or what we're going, we're going to grow to, um, to just this, this you know, project that we're working on right now with Rise Creative Village. And I, I'll share with you as a media company, one of the things we started off, you know, telling these dynamic stories but what wind up happening you know and how we grew was um we would do these events every time we would release a magazine and the magazine for us was a lost leader we would just put the print magazine out just uh for free but really where we generated a lot of our revenue from was from working with companies like pepsi and state farm and and bbnt bank and these companies wanted to get in front of these upwardly mobile you know minority young professionals and they said we we can find them in the entry level but when it comes to that middle management we struggle with that. And so um, and so they became kind of our clients. So we had a customer in the community that we were serving and corporations became our client. And we began creating media and and marketing campaigns for them that authentically targeted this demographic. And so when I moved here, that was another thing I liked about here, because you had a significant amount of corporate headquarters here. I mean, Coca-Cola, UPS. I mean, you just you know, you name it is here, Delta. And that allowed us to get to the key decision makers. And whereas where we were at before, you know, we we're working with, you know, regional people. But here you were able to connect with these key decision makers. And um, that helped us scale significantly. Well, it's a fantastic place to have as a home logistically. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I think corporately, as you're mentioning, it's, it, it's hard to beat Atlanta mm-hmm. in that regard. What is it? Help, help me take me on the inside of uh, the African American dialogue about Atlanta. What do what do what do uh, the, the black conversation in Detroit, New York, Los Angeles? What's what are they saying about Atlanta? I, well, I'll tell you what I hear. You know, quite a bit or hurt quite a bit is just that there were a, a significant amount of opportunities um, to be able to to 
to scale and be able to do business with com- companies. They were much more open. Uh, you know, that was the first challenge that I would deal with in Orlando. I mean, when we would work with a company, you know, I would hear a number of times being in Central Florida that, you know, they oh, we have a budget for this demographic, but it's not th- this place where you're at is it's not black enough and i would hear that constantly and uh and and so when you look at a market like atlanta you know it had the numbers the socioeconomic status was significantly higher than some of these other markets and so you know you're dealing with a niche demographic that had the buying power spending power that that they really bought into and so it was it was a place from that perspective that you know was really appealing um and so that's one one of the things that we learned um with moving here and, and moving the company here and i saw it i you know i saw it for myself i would see so many successful uh minority-led companies that were just able to do business with these corporations and get real opportunities to get their foot in the door which is you know that that's significant in itself so. well my experience in atlanta is that it's a very integrated community yes. i mean it's mm-hmm. a, it's uh black white and there's other minorities but really mm-hmm. it's a black and white town yeah <laughs> that that you have black and white people working together mm-hmm. on all walks of life all Absolutely. over the place i mean it's a it's a i mean i don't want to go so far as to say like it's dr king's dream realized okay. but in many ways like atlanta yeah. is like the on the cutting edge of that dream continuing to evolve I and, and i watch it all the time i think wow this is amazing like mm-hmm. when i think back on you know i grew up in scottsdale arizona and i can promise you like there's not a big african-american <laughs> population in scottsdale but i had black friends growing mm-hmm. up but they were black friends who are living in a white world yes right i agree and atlanta is a place where there are all worlds right so like exactly. i there's lots of times i walk in i'm like i'm a white guy living in a black world right and and the then culture it's, the culture here is is that was another thing and to, to, to your point absolutely the culture here that was one of the things that grabbed me when i got here you know and as a person um you know who is who is African American? You know, and I would see so much history, um, you know, with the civil rights movement and things like that, and the, the you know all of those um, things that just brought that to the forefront. And that was one of the things it gives you a sense of pride in who you are, and um, that was something that you know, obviously in in Orlando, well, you know, I love it, and again, a great place. It, it's more touristy, right? So mm-hmm. you're going to have things that kind of appeal to um, to people that are tourists and people that are visiting and things like that and so that was one of the things that i liked here and, you know you have it all you have diff- different cultures all throughout the city i mean when you go to buckhead it's mm-hmm. a certain culture and you go to you know just outside um you know sandy springs area and you know things like that so i just that's one of the things i loved about it just that that mix of the culture it's very unique <laughs> and yes. i you know i try to explain it to friends of mine, even in LA, right? Where mm-hmm. everybody in LA wants to think they're so progressive. They want to mm-hmm. think they're so integrated in their mm-hmm. life. They want to think that they have, you know, friends of every color. Mm-hmm. And then you start to break down the socioeconomic and you realize like LA is really kind of haves, haves, nots, wow. right? Yes. And when it comes to the African-American community, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of they, they live in South Central, mm-hmm. right? And wow. then a lot of life in LA that's business life takes place up in Beverly Hills and across to downtown LA, all the way over to Santa Monica. And the the African Americans who go live life up there are oftentimes like the elite. Yes. Yeah. I right. Agree. Yeah. And so a lot of my friends who all think that they have all these African American friends, I'm like, well, you have an African American <laughs> friend friend who runs CAA or you know whatever, <laughs> yeah. and then you know, and you know Absolutely. LeBron James, and mm-hmm. you know, right? That's mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. you know, that's not the world that Atlanta is. Atlanta has integration at every level of society. I agree. 
I wholeheartedly agree. Um, it's one of the places, one of the things that was interesting to me is the first time I was in Georgia and I was driving down the freeway and I looked over and I saw 15 African-American guys on Harleys. <laughs> and I thought, you know, in California, you might see a group like that. They were all dentists, white mm-hmm. dentists cruising the, the highway one up, you know, to, to Napa or something. But you come to Georgia and everything you imagine yes. about, uh, about every level of American life is happening I agree. inside of a African American community, and inside the African American community here, it's all of America. Yes. So mm-hmm. there's there's everybody from the mayor of the city to judges <laughs> to uh, hedge fund managers to venture capitalists to technology entrepreneurs, all the way down to then all of the kind of uh, crime uh, ridden stuff that we deal with mm-hmm. in white communities, black communities, everywhere. Mm-hmm. But but you get the entire absolutely you know mm-hmm. s- social. Scope. Yes, the entire yeah. scope. Not. The entire scope, which I think is very different than Los Angeles or New York or Chicago, yes. where you're not getting, you're not, you're not seeing that sort of uh, cultural integration. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, and and you know that's one of the things that again makes it so unique, um, and that's what allowed us to say, you know, or what made us say, okay, this is a place where we're going to place our roots it's funny i was you know the project rise creative village that we're working on i was talking with a a mentor of mine who's a real estate developer and and he's out of orlando and he said man jay if you were you know if you were in orlando you would never be able to to kind of it would be so difficult for you to pull this thing off but you know he was just surprised that we had purchased this you know former atlantic public school property and where we were located in the project that we were working on tell us tell us about (laughs) it because i mean this this is a very atlanta kind of opportunity Absolutely. And so as I shared with you, we've you know been in the media and marketing space for a number of years. We started the company back in 2011. And as we moved here and we began, you know, working with a lot of freelance, you know, creatives as we were working with these companies that that I mentioned, Georgia Power is another client of ours. Um, I would work with these freelancers and I said, hey, man, this this market is booming here with the film and entertainment industry. Right. Are you all connected? I know you all are working on some of these projects that are here. And one thing about creatives um, is that they're very creative. They don't always understand business, right? <laughs> we, we know this, and I know in this world. And so, um, you know, they said, well, you know, we don't know how to get connected to opportunities like that. And so, uh, you know, I'm like, what are you talking about? Again, uh, entrepreneur, always looking for a problem, right? We always, when we hear something, we, you know, it's, oh, that's a problem? Okay, that's an opportunity. And so from there, I said, we need to create something, uh, create a vehicle that we can collectively bring a lot of these creatives together, provide them with maybe some tools, development resources, but help them get connected to opportunities. Um, And really, I began looking at the tech ecosystem. You know, I I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. Sometimes, you know, you just look at other things in other industries and you can apply those same model, that same model. And when I looked at, you know, the tech industry here, you know, one of the things about the tech industry that's very, you know, it's very obvious is that they don't want you to leave, right? They don't want that talent to leave. If you're, you know, you graduate from Georgia Tech, they want you to stay here. They're trying to create an ecosystem for you. So if you're looking at starting your own tech company there they have resources for you there if you're looking at getting hired onto you know a tech company uh they they have resources there and so they really have resources for you even capital and everything they create this ecosystem they don't want you to go to to you know silicon valley they want you to stay right here and so i said you know if we look at that model and we say, okay, well, what can we do, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, right? And, and so uh, I looked at, you know, 
places like Atlanta Tech Village. And, and I really have to say that's kind of the model that we looked at, you know, having this building that, you know, has this uh, membership opportunity, co-working opportunity where they're curating programming and things like that. Um, it has, you know, space for events and things like that. And, you know, of course, we look at production. And so that's where we begin to build out this concept and stumble across this former Atlanta public school property after we lost um, two or three other properties that we were trying to go out there. And it worked out perfect because this building had been vacant for about 16 years. Um, you know, sitting dormant, you know, 30,000 square foot building as it sits, you know, sitting on four acres of land. And it sat right within uh, an area where we saw development going all around It's southwest Atlanta. Where where is the what are like what cross streets? So, um, so if you're familiar with Lee Street, so Lee and Avon and Camilton Road, those are some of the cross streets. And so if you're familiar with Lee and White, um, you Lee and White is over there. The Met, you know, the Pittsburgh Yards, all of this is happening in this area so we knew that this was an area that is really becoming this creative corridor and so it just was perfect um you know just aligned up perfect and and um and so we started on the process of of you know purchasing the building which was a two and a half year process working with atlanta public schools it was not an easy process because um they're not real estate they don't just sell real estate right and so um, they just happen to be sitting on all of these properties that had been closed um and so when you think about rise creative village you think about this this membership facility that has um, production spaces for creators, right? So you have, you know, smaller soundstage, nothing like what we're looking at right now, but for, you know, up and coming creatives, you know, they can create content, um, podcasting studios, um, virtual reality, you know, gaming studio, um, recording studio. So anybody that's in that creative realm, film, music, digital media, you know, gaming, Anybody that falls in that creative realm, you know, you can be a member here, have an affordable membership, but have access to these tools, to these resources. And I'm thankful because now we're starting to get partnerships and strategic partnerships with with companies that operate, you know, a couple streaming companies that we're talking to that see that we'll be you know, curating all of this talent, as we like to say, curating and cultivating creativity. And and uh, as I as I share with them, I'm like, listen, um, we're going to be cultivating this talent. This is going to be the next Tyler Perry. These are going to be the next, you know, Ava DuVernay's. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and the thing about it, what I love is this, you know, we've always in media, you have to focus on niche, right? That That's how you you know, you find your lane and, and get your voice. Uh, but with this, this is creatives as a whole, right? So this isn't African American. This is if you like to create, this is the place for you. Um, and so, you know, that's. <laughs> so do you, are you feeling a little bit like Professor Xavier? <laughs> are you recruiting a, an army of mutants? <laughs> I love it. I never heard that an analogy, but you, it is so it is so apropos. So apropos. Trying to gather people of talent and then help uh, focus their energy, teach them how to really utilize their skills, mm -hmm. and then set them free to go do good in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and from our standpoint, you know, we understand business. So now we have, we're building the relationships that we can then make the introductions and help them. You know, everything all the way down from technical skills to soft skills. I mean, some people, you know, some creatives, you even have to, you know, help them, educate them on how you interact, you know, with people. So, you know, all the way down to soft skills. And so I'm thankful because, you know, we're, you know, within the building, obviously you have, a, you know, tenants that were, you know, will be in the building. And I'm thankful because, um, you know, one of the, 
tenants that we're working with right now is a technical college that I actually sit on the advisory board for uh, Atlanta Technical College, which is eight minutes away from there. Very they close, have a, yeah. yeah, and they have a film. They have this film um, it was a design and, and media production program where they're teaching film, they're teaching photography, um, they're teaching graphic design. And when I joined the board, I said, well, I want to see the space that the students are working out of. And they, and they took me to this classroom that was just a just a, a basically a classroom and I said you know well how are the students and, and nothing against you know Atlanta Technical College but I said you know how are the students learning you know on, you know with real-world equipment if they're working in this classroom and so uh, again when you dealing with some of these colleges budgets become an issue and so I said well we need to work on this and, and so I'm thankful because that's one of the uh, tenants that are looking at you know coming on in and being a strategic partner and now the students will have access to equipment they will have access to an environment a creative environment and they will actually have access to real productions you know smaller scale productions but real productions that can give them that real world experience so they're entering the world with a you know they, they're able to compete and go after jobs that are happening right here at Black Hall Studios. <laughs> so does this feel like a kind of a dual venture for you that's a, a doing well by doing good? Yeah, absolutely. A absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things we've always been rooted in, in having a positive social impact. We're a for-profit entity, uh, but it's always been about having some type of social impact. And 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 what I the one the interesting thing about this school is that it sits within uh, the property itself sits within um, a community. So it's one of these schools that were, was built within a community. And when I first started working to go through the purchase process. So the first time I went to the property, I was like, I love this property, uh, you know, all of this acreage and, and um, that we're sitting on, but it sits right within a community. That's, that's a bit weird. But then as I started going through the process, Atlanta public schools, you know, they require you to have support from the MPU that, that you're within before they even um, agree to sell it to you. And so I started working you know, really close with the MPU, started working close with the community uh, with the community association and the neighbors. And we began building this great relationship. And they've been living next to this property that's been vacant for 16 years. And so they were so happy to have somebody coming in that's building something that could that they could even be a part of. And so um, it's just been phenomenal because, you know, even beyond what I had imagined, we saw ourselves now. I, I tell the, the, the community all the time, I said, listen, we're we're not a community center, but we will Will be a community resource and um, and as a result you know we've been working together as we develop the plan for what happens within the building but also what happens outside of the building and around that area um, you know it's just been a, a phenomenal process going hand in hand and so they've been super supportive of everything which we know is, is huge well, they should be supportive. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I mean, you don't always get government support for good things, mm -hmm. and good ideas. I mean, mm -hmm. people come at things from all different angles. Absolutely. And sometimes you can't get community buy-in. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, it sounds like a fantastic idea. I'm glad to see the community supporting you. I've actually got, I've got a two-part question for you. Okay. So I want you to reflect on kind of your own psychology and help me see a path as to how, where did this entrepreneurial spirit come from? Like, how do you trace that in your own soul? Mm. And then on the other side, like, where did this, like, pastoral spirit? Because you've got this kind of dual. You've got this entrepreneurial and you've got this pastoral, and those came from somewhere. Maybe you were born with them. Maybe you've had them your whole life. But you know, I, walk me through where you imagine, as you think about your own story, 
Wow, that's where a, those things come into that's play. That's a great question. I, I get that entrepreneurial spirit from from my father, and, and my father he had this entrepreneurial spirit about him, and he you know started a restaurant, started you know a number of different things, but could never really access that capital. You know, which is, you know, a challenge a lot of times for minority owned businesses. And so uh, they didn't have the Internet back in the day where you could connect with people online and things like that. And so I just remember him starting these ventures, but just didn't have the capital to begin to scale. And ultimately, you know, he had to get a, uh, you know, a, a regular job and and um, and just let those dreams die. And so for me, I think that's where I really get that entrepreneurial spirit. And then the second thing about it is. You know, every venture that I've had, you know, from, you know, when I got into real estate sales and opened up my brokerage and, and you know, every venture that I've had has always been trying to solve a, a problem that I saw existed that frustrated me. Right. And and and, and it was always something that dealt with serving uh, the you know, community. I'm, I'm very service oriented, as you as you mentioned. And so um, it's always been about, you know, how do we combine purpose with profit right and and now even with this facility we say you know purpose um, profit planet because we're doing a lot of green initiatives in there you know all of that exists in in the same place P purpose profit people planet and that's how we look at things and so um i don't know where the service part came from I, it's just kind of innately in me uh, but the entrepreneurial spirit you know i i do believe that came from my father because i know my mom she worked on a job for you know 35 years and and uh and it was you know she she played it safe but he was the risk taker and and i and and so for me it's also about that baton like when i look at him and i said okay he couldn't cross that finish line but for me let me take that baton and and even with this project i'm i'm so proud everything everything that we've accomplished in the past i'm thankful for but this project i'm i'm super excited because they live in florida still and they haven't been up to see the property yet so i can't wait uh, for them to come so that he can see that hey i have that baton and and i'm you know i'm ready to carry it across the finish line and then uh, i i would say the last component of that is um, i'm a father of two two children and um you know a son and a daughter and my son is a creative and you know he um he goes to full sale down in, in orlando um so i'm trying to get him up here when he gets done with that and my daughter um she's a you know she's more analytical than he is but she's you know loves to write has always written and so when i think about this facility i think about people like them and and really creating a path uh for even them to get connected to um, just opportunities and so I just think about people like that so it's always about more than me it's bigger than me it's about you know serving <laughs> well there's you know I, I love that element like I think there's always in entrepreneurship there's the elements that are the beautiful side mm -hmm. right so the I think of those as the creative and the imaginative people will say to me well why you know why are you an entrepreneur and I say well I want to be able to wake up in the morning and turn my imagination on absolutely I want to be able to wake up in the morning and exercise creativity, <laughs> right? You know, so, like those are drivers. Mm -hmm. Now on the negative side, right? I'm an entrepreneur because I'm unemployable. Yes. Oh, yes. Right. Cause Absolutely. I ask really hard questions. <laughs> I'm not willing to deal with answer. I'm not willing to implement answers that I don't think make sense. Mm -hmm. And that makes for a terrible employee oh, in, in many ways. I and agree. so I realized like my massive authority issues drove me into entrepreneurship. So I hear you saying, 
the pastoral side, the service side, is the beautiful side of what drove drives you in <laughs> entrepreneurship. Tell me about some of the things that you think are like uh, the weaknesses in you that oh force you into entrepreneurship. You, you are one hundred percent correct. I remember when the real estate market crashed, and uh, and I had a I had a brokerage. I had a team of about twenty five agents, right? And and everybody had to get out of the business. This was you know the market crash. I remember you know my, in my office I had a TV on C, CNBC because I keep up with the stock market and CNN, and so I've always you know keeping up with you know news and then the stock market and i remember ali velshi was the um he was the you know the financial analyst at the time um and he was the markets were crashed and and we had closings that were on the on the books that you know just totally uh got wiped out um and i wind up saying okay well i have to get a job at this point i have to do something to keep you know money flowing um and i wind up getting a job working in timeshare right and i remember them telling me now, now keep in mind i wake up without an alarm clock at 5 30 you know 5 30 6 o'clock easily with no alarm clock at all and i remember them telling me well you have to be at work at 7 a.m right <laughs> and i'm saying to myself i'm you know and it would be so hard for me to just wake up and get there and i would be dragging and 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 this is what I knew. I, I said I got to figure something else out. I, I woke up one day and I still had I owned um, a couple other small businesses. One of them was a, a salon. It was something that I had invested in kind of passively. Um, but my office was in the same building. We had this five thousand square foot building, and so my real estate office was in the same in the same building. And so one day I woke up coughing and sick, and um, and I did I called out from the the uh, uh, timeshare job, and I went into you know, my office and one of the young ladies who worked in the salon area, the day spa, she, she said, Jay, what are you doing here? You know, she, you know, heard me, you know, she knew I had a job. And so she said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm sick. And she said, but you know, if you're sick, then why are you here? <laughs> right. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just have to be here. Right. I, I just ha feel like I have to be. And that's when I, I wind up quitting. And I said, you know, I will figure this thing out because I knew then at that point, you know, I have to be, just in control and then you know just in control of my own destiny and then and as you mentioned you know when you look at the politics of working a job and when I talk to friends who deal with the political side of working a job I mean I just I can't handle it I can't even you know fathom it and so <laughs> it's better to fire yourself than wait around to get fired <laughs> and you know and, and going back to the pastoral side of things you you mentioned something and i you know listened to a couple of interviews that you did you know uh before this you know because I, I i love your background and everything and and you talk about you know often the jobs within this industry when within this you know film production are are you know, jobs that make people feel good, right? And it is so true, man. These people love to just create and just use their creativity. And it's not always valued in the corporate environment, right? And so this world, you know, respects that. And I mean, you know, the people that always say that add color um, to the world that would otherwise be black and white. Just think when you hop in the car and turn on the radio, that's somebody's, you know, somebody came up with the song, right? The lyrics and somebody came up with that mute, the music that goes along with that. And every time you turn on the TV and watch something, that's something that somebody imagined in their head and they brought it to life. And, and um, I wanted to just be a part of helping others create that. One of the things that uh, that we deal with at, at Black Hall is, you know, we're in Southwest DeKalb County. Okay. Not a lot of people in this part of town have ever been exposed to the entertainment yes. industry. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, some of the sometimes the politicians will say to me things like, "Well, how many people in this neighborhood are you going to employ?" And I'll say, "Well, over time, hopefully a lot." <laughs> exactly. But it's over time, mm-hmm. right? Because Absolutely. you have to you think about. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what your exposure was when you were in Orlando as a child. When I was growing up in Scottsdale, Arizona, we lived in a perfectly nice middle-class neighborhood, but the richest people I knew were doctors, and maybe there was an occasional lawyer, or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a dentist who lived in a big house, like, you know, at some at the, on, the, on the end of the cul-de-sac, or you know, this kind of stuff. But I didn't know investment bankers, and I didn't know how <laughs> money worked, and I didn't know anything about venture capital. I certainly didn't know any technology entrepreneurs. Mm. I didn't know anybody in entertainment. I would have never imagined when I was a child that being a director or producer was a career option that I could could embark upon. I just didn't know any of those people. Absolutely. And so I think about our presence in this neighborhood yes. is just like a it's like an opportunity beacon mm-hmm. where kids can say, "What do they do down there?" <laughs> and then you know, like we're we're really involved with a project at McNair High School that is oh, wow. that combines the um, DeKalb County Schools the Georgia Film Academy and Blackhall Studios in turning uh, a section of McNair High School that's empty right now wow. into a, a film and television and gaming um, kind of mecca, yes. not like what you're doing, which is really for professionals. Mm-hmm. This is for high school kids. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And and really is a stepping stone to then go actually do it, which they, you know, then they graduate into like what your <laughs> world is, is where, you know, people are actually making money. Mm-hmm. This is intended just to start to give people exposure. exposure 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 is key and and you know that's when you when you talk about being in areas like this i think that was one of the challenges that i faced growing up because i was never exposed you know i was exposed to limited things and you know i remember i um you know quick story uh, i wind up getting this job working for airborne express so i was this delivery driver and and I remember when I got hired, I said, hey, put me in the west side of town, which was where I grew up at and kind of the underserved area. I was like, this is where I'm comfortable at. I know this area like the back of my hand. I can, you know, know the back streets, everything to get make sure my job is easy. And they put me on the side of town, which was the east side of town, which was kind of the more affluent area. And I said, I don't know anything about this. And I remember I remember being so afraid of just being in this unknown environment and so for the first two weeks on that job I remember that I had this bad attitude because they didn't didn't give me what I want and that was my comfort zone and they put me out of my comfort zone and after working on this route for two weeks I pulled up at this house one day and you know had this bad attitude but I looked up at the house and it's probably the first time I actually looked at the house you know I looked for the address and you know leave the packet at the front door but this time I looked up at that and I said wow this is the biggest house I have ever seen up close in my life and it probably was probably three four thousand square foot house now you know but but when you you know you haven't seen anything like that and I said I have to know what they do I have to know what they do you know and I remember going up to the front door and you usually deliver drivers, they, they leave the package, they run off, you know, <laughs> before you get to the door. Uh, but this particular day, man, I, I stood there and I rung the door, but I stood there with that package in my hand. And um, the gentleman answered the door and it was probably one o'clock during the daytime. And he was in shorts and a, and a T-shirt. And uh, and I said, hey, you know, I remember shaking. And I was like, you know, I'm 18, 19 years old. And I said, you know, I'm your delivery driver. My name is Jay. And I said, I just, you know, not hopefully this doesn't offend you, but I just have to know what you, you know, what do you do for a living? And he that said, you're home in your shorts <laughs> and T-shirt at one o'clock, accepting yeah. my delivery. I want and, this job. <laughs> 
And he said, I run a business from my home. And I said, you run a business from your home. And I, that was totally foreign to me. And so I got a little more confidence at that point. I said, so you're trying to tell me you don't wake up every day dreading a job that you hate, you know, fight traffic that you hate to work with people that you hate doing something that you hate doing, which is what I've always seen everybody else in my family do and he said no i love what i do and he brought me in his house that day and showed me at a computer he ran an it company but he did a lot of it from his home um he actually had an office and that day right there i think that was the day the entrepreneurial seed got planted and i said i don't know what i will do what it will be but one day i'm going to you know have my own business and that was you know where the seed really got planted I'm guessing that guy was a white suburbanite. Yes. <laughs> okay. So this is a perfect example. Like, you know, like you said earlier in the program, you said, well, I didn't get to see people that look like me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need to see people doing <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So exactly. here you see this guy and you say, how'd you get this big house? And how are you home at one <laughs> o'clock? And how do you like what you do? He tells you one thing for 10 minutes. Yes. Yes. And that 10 minute conversation and experience mm-hmm. might have launched all your entrepreneurial endeavor. Absolutely. Right. Because it like clicked something mm-hmm. inside of you that went from saying, how do I endure this to how do I change it? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you what, what it also did. Now it changed my attitude. Right. My, I had a I had an attitude shift. Like I said, the first two weeks on that job, I had this poor attitude. So I wasn't open to anything. But once that that happened, that changed my total that changed my whole attitude and my whole outlook and i began going to the leadership at you know at this particular de- delivery uh, company and i said hey put me in other routes right that i'm not familiar with put me in other areas and i began delivering to lockheed martin and i began to delivering to ucf and now i'm i'm and, and I wanted to go deliver to these places because now I'm walking around. So now I'm just not the delivery driver hustling to, to get the packages. Now I'm sightseeing as I'm doing it. And, and it opened me to just so many more opportunities that I didn't know existed. And, and, and um, from there, I mean, it just it just, you know, spiraled in every opportunity that I took. Right. When I get into something, I, I want to understand everything about it. And so from there, when I got into entrepreneurship, I wanted to understand everything about what I was doing. And it just exposes me to new people and more people that just helped me just grow and grow. What you just said um, triggered like a creative idea in my mind, which is a book that you could write for kids, mm. maybe junior hires even. Mm-hmm. That is um, a book written from the perspective of a delivery guy wow, and all the places he goes and gets to see and what he's learning as he goes, mm-hmm. right? That are all these vignettes mm-hmm. about different parts of society and all the different careers and, and, and then walking away and thinking to himself about all the things that are good or bad or, you know, whatever, and start to formulate all this perspective on all the options that are available in life that could only come if you go and see them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, you're you're 100 correct. And, and as you get connected, I mean, he opened my eyes to to something else that planted a seed, and I started my real estate company shortly after that. Um, and and every time I well, I didn't start. I, I got into real estate shortly after that, and I got exposed to the people that I was working with in the real estate industry. You know, um, you know, they were 
their mindset was on a different level as well. These were people that were talking about um, rental property and things like that. And now I'm being exposed to investing and things like that. And, you know, and, uh, you know, so it just it just opened the door and created all these up other opportunities that connected me with uh, you know, a different, you know, different people on a different level. And not that anybody's better than but, you know, you just you're just starting to connect with you know different people on a different level and, and even with this and the project that we're working on now and and now we're you know when we needed to raise the capital for this project i mean you know obviously now i'm dealing with you know the investment world and things like that and you know understanding new market tax credits and things like that and now i talk about it like i'm a pro <laughs> right <laughs> when you get into it well and and, and what make when it when it makes me think about as i hear you talk is this particular human virtue that is so incredibly dangerous and yet so incredibly powerful, and that's curiosity. Yes. <laughs> so you have a lot of curiosity. Did you always indulge that? Um, did I always indulge it? Yes, I did, and, and I have to rein it in at times. <laughs> you have to rein it in at times because you can get to the point where you're chasing the shiny object, right? Well, they um, say it killed the cat, so... <laughs> Yeah. And so um, and so I, I kind of focus on you know, what I learned to do is I focus on what I know I'm good at and what my strengths allow me to, to leverage. It, and, and then I pull in people who are experts in their other areas. So now I've learned to utilize people that are experts at what they do and they help me kind of curb that curiosity. So I still am curious, but um, now I kind of partner with people that can help to, you know, address some of those things fill in the gaps yes exactly well i think you only have so much time in a day <laughs> and 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 you know professor xavier can't do everything <laughs> no you know i certainly try i certainly try i hate it because i because sometimes i can be um, um sometimes i can i you know because i get so engulfed in things right and because i, I want it to be you know impactful it's not just about the money of course you know we want to profit in everything that we're doing so that you can be sustainable and 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 scale right um but you know definitely have to make sure that you control that because it can get out of hand <laughs> let's talk a little bit about capital i think i've mentioned this before on a podcast but when i was young and i had all these ideas and i didn't have money mm. I came up with this phrase that I would tell people, I'd say vision without capital is misery. Yes, exactly. So oh. you're seeing that probably yes. not just in your own entrepreneurial life, but in the lives of all these other people that you're starting to help mm -hmm. try to understand how to grow companies, mm -hmm. grow Absolutely. opportunities. Let's talk a little bit about the capital markets inside of particularly uh, the African-American creative world mm. and maybe even the African-American technology world. And those are areas I don't know a lot about uh, the capital side. Where where are you seeing capital flow in to those areas in entrepreneurial endeavor? I'll tell you, capital still is a challenge, a significant challenge. Even for companies, you know, you had this, uh, even for companies that are talking about, hey, we're investing or, or we're, you know, allocating $100 million for, you know, racial equality and things like that, you know, and I'm always saying, well, racial equality, you know, it's economics, right? So you you need to be looking at entrepreneurs, right? So because they're the ones that create jobs that then in turn, it, it, you know, it begins to trickle down. So if you really want to address that, then you want to invest in people who are building and creating and, and creating these jobs. Um, and it's still a challenge. I mean, even with this process, you know, with us, 
you know, we have this property. I, I, I acquired the property, and we're talking about a property that had a million dollars worth of equity and coming in the in the gate. You know, based on what I bought it from 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 Atlanta Public Schools, and 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 so you have a million dollars worth of equity in the property. So equity is there right and then as part of the capital stack because of where it's located we were able to allocate or get an allocation of new market tax credits and and uh for the listeners they may or may not know what new market tax credits is but you are but um it's a tax incentive that brings cash into the into the deal right and about 25 percent of the overall project cost and this came into the deal so now i got equity i got new market tax credits um some low interest debt and so we identified a, a community development lender that brought debt and so then the last piece of the capital stack was the equity right and we mm-hmm. now we need to bring in you know some equity partners and that was probably the greatest challenge now here you have a deal that 75 percent of the capital is at the table right and um and you know <laughs> and you got a project that makes sense we've got strategic partners we have and then that last piece that 25 percent of equity that was such a challenge and there's you know still the piece that that we're you know trying to close the gap on but that's just an example here's a, a deal that the the deck is stacked <laughs> in our favor mm-hmm. and um and just accessing that and in in during that process you know you get um you know, if I'm being transparent here, I, I felt like, you know, we were being scrutinized many times, even greater. You know, it's like, can you pull this off? I'm like, well, listen, we have, you know, a, a, a interest list of over 800 creatives that say, hey, they want in on or they want to be a member of this place. And, and we have, you know, uh, strategic partnerships and we've been in business for a number of years and have done business with various different corporations. Right. So we have a track record. I'm not new to entrepreneurship and I've built out a great team. Right. And but you still dealt with all of these, you know, people scrutinizing and and i get that you have to mitigate risk but you know in these situations it's like okay well i've i know that you all did these other deals that you know were were a whole lot more riskier than than what we're doing and we have a strategic plan and so that's the challenge that we still see exist and um um you know again i'm just if i'm being transparent (laughs) no that's what Mm -hmm. i mean Transparency is the only way to find uh, new <laughs> solutions, right? Absolutely. Because transparency leads to what you started this conversation with, uh, started out this conversation with, which is identifying problems. Exactly. So mm-hmm. you can only actually identify problems if everybody will be honest. Exactly. And so then once you can identify it, then you can come up with solutions. So, I mean, the, the conversation only progresses if um, everybody's transparent. Absolutely. It, and even from a standpoint of, of so capital i mean there's a certain language that you got to speak right it's mm-hmm. a certain there's a language of money That's and right. so i think that um there's two things that have to happen right the capital markets have to be you know much more open and then even from entrepreneurs like myself i had to learn to speak a different language right i had to learn understand to you know speak the language of money um but then when that happens and you can show hey here's how we get that return for you and we begin to scale and this is then you know then it has to open up it has to free up at that point what are you seeing what are you seeing so again this is more of an ecosystem question okay so um if a young entrepreneur let's say a young tech entrepreneur because i know there's actually a a pretty large african-american tech population in atlanta Mm -hmm. so let's say i'm a young african-american tech entrepreneur how many African-American run venture capital firms can I go to and try to get money? From? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure of the number, but I will say it's getting better. 
I will say it's getting better because you now have people out there like Joey Womack with Goody Nation, and he's he's someone you know. People like him are out here now bridging the gaps, and now you have people like um, Jewel Burke who is you know with Google startups, right? And you have people that have now you know made it, and now they're in these companies and in these you know venture funds or working to be a conduit to access some of that talent, but it's still, still very much a, a challenge. And so I think that's an area of opportunity. So if you, so I'm asked, these are entrepreneurial questions, okay. right? So here you have, I'm a white entrepreneur <laughs> and I'm asking questions about young black entrepreneurs. Okay. I'm a white capital investor. I'm okay. asking questions about young black entrepreneurs who need capital, okay. right? Okay. So let's say that I was, let's say that, that I was sitting here one day and I said, there is a pool of African-American talent that I want to tap into and I want to help fund, would they take my money? Would the would the young black entrepreneurs take my money? Or they, would they say, Man, I don't know if I want that guy's money? Oh no, they would definitely take it. They, <laughs> they would, would definitely they would definitely take your money. They would definitely because they know that in order to make it happen, to make this vision happen that they have, they they need the capital and and I mean they need that capital to be able to scale. And so um that's always the challenge is that you know we have these ideas but where are you going with where are you going to pitch them yeah right yeah. where do you go so, right so you know so there's not there's not a there's not a um there's not an agenda inside of this entrepreneurial circle saying well we really only want to take african-american money we'll no, take money wherever no, no we're just no. a we're just yeah. Americans making businesses, and we'll take yeah. money from any American money that's green. Absolutely. Now, I think for every entrepreneur, what you begin to learn is that you know you want to take the right capital in terms of you know, the, the right entrepreneur, you know, the right investor, right? Because you have to have you know alignment there. But um, but I don't think that is the greatest issue in terms of we don't want to take money from a particular person. If we want opportunity right we want real opportunity and and so if i'm presenting something to you and and usually you know i know for me right i'm i'm the kind of person that i make sure that every i is dotted every t is crossed and i go above and beyond so that i can make sure that i answer every question before we even get there and i have you know obviously mentors and and um and advisors who who are white right and they they um they don't look like me and they and they said man i can't believe you just going all this and they look at what i do and they're just always amazed at just how much extra i put into it and i said well i have to and it's just sometimes they don't even understand and so um i think for a lot of minority entrepreneurs they they want that capital because they want the resources to be able to bring this vision to life uh, but you just have that disconnect of um you just have that disconnect a lot of times of, well, I'm not necessarily comfortable investing in you. And so the capital doesn't come to them. And so, well, sometimes capital speaks such a specific language. Yes. Yes. As you, you know, right. Yeah, so, absolutely. so, uh, and that, and that's part of the language of American capitalism, mm -hmm. right. Absolutely. Which is colorless mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in the sense that the money flows Absolutely. to the good ideas mm -hmm. but if you don't speak the language mm -hmm. you can't communicate about how good the idea is yeah i agree which i, I think agree. is one of the uh, you know one of the the skill sets that you have to infuse young entrepreneurs who don't have exposure to capital markets 
and you have to teach them how to speak that language. And that's a challenge as well. So I'll tell you, that's a challenge in, in itself because I know for me, as you said, I'm very curious, right? So I wanted to learn, but sometimes accessing the people who will be willing to take the time to even educate, mentor, just spend the time to even educate you on that um, is not something that, you know, it's a challenge that you even have, um, you know, that some entrepreneurs have, you know, I know that was a challenge for me, significant, you know. This is a female challenge, right? Mm -hmm. I have a lot of female friends who want to be entrepreneurs or who Mm want to be real estate developers or Mm -hmm. whatever, right? And oftentimes when you're a young, up and coming, entrepreneurial, Mm -hmm. capital markets guy, real estate guy, whatever, your opportunities to learn oftentimes take place in very male dominated yes, activity, I right? Agree. So a guy who's a seasoned entrepreneur, he might have time to let you come play around a golf with him because mm-hmm. he's working that into his schedule. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, come play around a golf with me. And you get three hours to talk about whatever, mm. right? I agree. Hey, come shoot shotguns with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you get integrated into these opportunities that are very social. Exactly. Exactly. But then their business life, they don't have time. Like they've got, they've got a whole, <laughs> they got to get a whole bunch of stuff done so they can go play golf, mm-hmm. or got to get a whole bunch of stuff done so they can go on some hunting trip or whatever. And so if you're not being invited to those kind of things, then you're missing out on these hugely uh, educational conversations. Absolutely right. That that not only applies to whatever culture, mm-hmm. but then also applies to gender because mm-hmm. oftentimes the women are excluded. You just hit the nail on the head, and that is that is part of the challenge as well. I know for me. Um, that was a significant part. And I remember what what opened me up to a lot of things. I wind up getting brought onto the board of um, uh, Boy Scouts in the Boy Scouts of America in in the you know Central Florida, and being a part of this board. I mean, I remember it being in one board meeting, and and on one side of me, um, I had the regional CEO of AT and T, and on the other side of me in a meeting, I had the regional CEO of of, of um, or the regional president of of regions bank right and so just being in it but not everybody has access to that and now I'm, I'm thankful for for that opportunity but you know just being in those environments right now you're interacting and now you're building those relationships and you're able to to learn a lot just from those environments and so that's a challenge at times right well and what you're doing in the in the rise creative village is really building an ecosystem where you can create those <laughs> kind of Velcro opportunities where if you just get one little piece of Velcro to hit the other little piece, exactly. of it, suddenly then it all starts like, you know, blend together. And so, exactly. um, you know, that kind of an ecosystem is going to have huge impact mm-hmm. on not only the young entrepreneurs that you're dealing with right this second, mm-hmm. but as those young entrepreneurs have some success absolutely, and you teach them also about capital mm-hmm. and then they bring that capital back. Mm-hmm. Now you know. Now you now you get the kind of <laughs> dynamic yeah. entrepreneurial um, flow that mm-hmm. leads to transformation of communities. I mean, we think about just the impact that Coca Cola has had on Atlanta. Yes, the amount of Coca Cola money that has f- gone from all over the world and then flows back to Atlanta, exactly. and then they build all kinds of buildings on universities. It, it built a huge amount of Emory. Uh, it's had impact at every level Absolutely. of society in, in Georgia is sugar water, right? Which I'm <laughs> drinking right now. Yeah. And it just takes one of those mm. to transform a place. So um, I think what you're doing is, um, you know, wonderfully impactful mm. in not just the immediate, but in intergenerationally. 
Wow. So I, I appreciate it. And, and, and for us, the goal is, hey, this is the first one, right? And then we, we've, you know, I began to identify as we, you know, find success with this and then we scale and, and identify other markets where we. Yeah, tell me, what, five years, like what, <laughs> what, what would the next five years, if you could just write a script, what would it look like? If I could write a script, the next five years, I mean, we would be in multiple markets. I don't know which markets those are right now, but we would be we would have multiple locations in multiple markets and we have relationships and we're creating this pipeline of talent for the film industry, for the um, music industry and for um, you know the digital media world. Right. And so we just have this, uh, you know, this pipeline of talent that is flowing, uh, creating opportunities and that is flowing back to us as well. And this we just we're just scared and growing from there would you do another one in Atlanta first or would you go somewhere else um that's a great question and um I'm not sure I'm not sure and you know probably another area you know where we're located at right now this is really ideal for what we're looking to do but um I'm not sure if we would do it are, here are you, you're not open yet no, we're not open. We're going. We're about to go through construction, so we're in design actually oh, phase cool. right now. Yeah. yeah. And when when will doors open? Um, summer twenty twenty one. Summer twenty twenty one. That's so. around the corner. Yes. <laughs> you know, only thing slowing us down obviously is is COVID, and we've obviously been with with our build out and things that we're doing. We're taking the necessary precautions with that, but um, that's the only thing that will slow us down is. Yeah, as we go through the process with the city. <laughs> well, good. Uh, Jay, we're out of time, but this has been fantastic. Thank you for taking the time. Man, I appreciate you all having me. It's our pleasure. Have a great day. We'll talk soon. I'm Ryan Millsap, and this is the Black Hall Studios Podcast. Putting an exclamation point on the end of each podcast, I share inspirational sayings that I write on Instagram. There is not one good reason for worry. There is eternal reason to be present now. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap. Millsap.